Well, good morning. Um, my name is Matt Morton. For those of you that I haven't met, I have the opportunity of ministering to the college students here at Grace. So I'm usually across the street, but have been allowed to come over here this morning and spend time with you. So I'm excited. I'm going to read from Proverbs chapter 18, uh, verse 24. And we will be moving around a lot this morning. I'll have most of our passages up on the PowerPoint, but if you'd like to turn there before we begin, that would be great. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, says, A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you that we can trust you because you are worthy of our trust. You are holy. You are set apart from us. We never need fear that you will make a mistake, that you will forget about us. But Father, we praise you above all that you have given us your son, Jesus. Even when we were sinners, Christ died for us and we praise you. And we look forward to the day as uh, we just sang when we will be able to stand before the throne of our Father and we will praise you and we will worship you and all of your promises will be true. Thank you. We pray as we study your word this morning that you would give us wisdom and understanding, help us to understand what it says, help us to believe it, and I pray give us bodies and minds and hearts that will obey you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you for just a minute to think about your circle of friends. How many friends would you say you have? Do you have many friends? Do you have a few friends? You may be reluctant after I just read that verse to say that you have many, but I want you to be honest for just a second. How many do you have? Uh, What are they like? What are their personalities like? What do they do for a living? What defines the group of people that you spend time with? Now, as you think about that, I want to ask you a second question. How many of you, when I asked that question, immediately began to think about your Facebook friends? Some of you may have. You may have begun to count them up. Uh, You have 722 or 633 or however many, many it may be, and you know exactly what they do. You know their religious beliefs, their political affiliation. You know even what they're doing at any given moment because they've posted their status on the wall, right? Now, there's a few of you, even as I'm talking, you're thinking, what's a Facebook? You don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, Let me explain. Facebook is a website that is a social networking website where you can get online and you can connect with all of your friends and even people that maybe you don't know. And uh, you will put their names and their faces up on your little web page, which is called a profile, and you learn all about them and you talk to them and you interact with them online. Now, there's some of you that you know what Facebook is, but you're avoiding it. Let me warn you, you probably can't avoid it for long. I knew that Facebook was becoming a global phenomenon when I got a request from my mom to be her friend (laughs) on Facebook, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, my, my parents are a little bit computer savvy, but most of the people up till that point had been younger people that were involved on it. Just recently, I actually got a request from my 88 year old grandfather on Facebook. So it is becoming this global phenomenon, but some of you are perhaps avoiding it. One of my good friends and a fellow pastor, 
Blake Jennings actually up till recently was avoiding Facebook and he let me share a little bit about that. Um, He did not want to get on because he decided it was going to be a colossal waste of his time, which it was, but I kept telling him, you're missing the point, right? The, (laughs) The... The point is not to spend your time well. The point is you can connect with all of these people. And so there's a feature on Facebook that actually allows you to send a request even to somebody that is not currently signed up for it where it will say, Matt Morton has requested you, Blake, as a friend. And so I sent him one and then I encouraged all of my friends to send them to Blake. And so Blake was getting dozens of emails a day inviting him to participate in Facebook until he finally caved and he joined it. And his first post on his wall was about how he was angry at me for getting him onto it. But I said, Blake, I just want you to realize this is a global, worldwide phenomenon and you really can't get away with it. And the reason that I'm talking about it is because I think that the internet, I think that email, I think that websites like Facebook may have altered our perception of what a friend is. Because if you think back through history, friend means a lot of different things, but one of the things it seldom means is the kid who beat me up in third grade that now wants to join my circle, right? (laughs) Or somebody I've met once. And so as we look at the topic of friendship, what I want to do this morning is I want to get us into a scriptural view of what is friendship really meant to be? What role does it play in our life? What is a good friend? What is a not-so-good friend? How does the Word of God define friendship? Surprisingly, Scripture has a great deal to say on this topic of friendship. A few years ago, as I was doing a study of the Proverbs, and I began to look at some of the major topics in the book of Proverbs, and I was going to choose eight or ten to speak on, one of the things that surprised me was that one of the most common themes in the book of Proverbs is this issue of our friends. Who do we spend our time with? And all throughout Scripture, you see examples of good friendships, bad friendships. David and Jonathan is a great example of a friendship that challenged both men to courage and to loyalty to the Lord and love for others. You have a friendship, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who stand together in worshiping God. So the scripture seems to indicate that friends are a critical part of our life, that the people with whom we spend our time is is a critical issue and not a small issue. And this is true whether you are 16 or 17 or whether you are 80. Men and women that you spend your time with will shape you. And we need friends and we need community in order to become faithful worshipers of God. Let me show you just a few passages as we begin. From the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, the author writes, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He seems to imply that actually maintaining our steadfast confession in Christ requires that we have a community around us of men and women who help us do those things. Stimulating one another toward love and good deeds, reflecting Jesus Christ requires that we have a community of men and women that help us and challenge us to do these things. We need community in order to function well as worshipers of God. Another basic principle is that friends ease our passage through life. This is the passage that Harry just read a few minutes ago. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. 
For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. So friends provide return for our labor. They provide protection. There's even an imagery of perhaps two shepherds out in the fields when it is cold in the wintertime. And in order to sleep well, in order to stay warm, they would get close together. And so two or more people help ease our passage through life. They are not only a help to us in walking with God, but they're a gift from God if we have the right friends. And so the scripture is critically concerned with our friendships and not the least reason is because we become like the people we spend time with. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Just as these two pieces of metal chip away at one another, so friends begin to change and shape those that they're around. All of us have heard the old joke that married couples begin to look alike over time. That's actually been scientifically proven, believe it or not. I read a study just this past week that as couples are married for years and years and years, because their experiences are similar, their environment is similar, they actually begin to look alike. Some of us maybe even look like our pets because we spend a lot of time around them, right? I found this picture on the internet just this past week. All right, this is from a dog food contest a dog food company ran to see who looked most like their dog. And this lady was one of the winners, and there were a number of these. Somebody told me this morning there's a whole book of these kind of pictures that you can get, right? If we begin to look like our pets, certainly we can begin to look like our friends, those that we spend the most time around. They shape our opinions, our outlooks on life, our understanding of who God is, how we raise our kids, how we interact in our marriage, even mundane things as what kind of coffee we drink or what kind of books we read. And that is not only true for those who are young. I think most of us think of this topic as one that is critical, and rightly so, for those who are teenagers and preteens and young adults, but it is just as critical for those who have passed beyond those stages. Because time and time again, uh, we all have seen men and women who begin to surround themselves with those who have the wrong impressions of perhaps marriage or child-rearing or the Word of God, and over time, their hearts become hardened and cold toward the things of God. And on the other hand, those who surround themselves with those who love God and His Word begin to pick up those attitudes as well. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to be mostly in the book of Proverbs, and I want to look at just a few principles from the book of Proverbs about friendship. What makes a good friend? And as we talk, think about your circle of friends and ask yourself two questions. One, do the friends that I have fit what the Proverbs says? The ones that I would say are my closest friends, do they match what the Proverbs says as a godly friend? Second question is, am I that kind of friend? When I interact with others, do I challenge them toward these character qualities that the Proverbs talks about? All right, so the first one that we're going to see is this. A good friend encourages us toward godliness. Proverbs 13, verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. A very simple principle. You spend time with wise people, you'll be wise. You spend time with foolish people, you will become foolish and suffer harm as a result. C.S. Lewis has a quote to the effect that if you can't be wise yourself, the next best thing is to have a circle of friends who are wise because you will become like them. 
Any of us who think that we are above peer pressure or conformity to a group are kidding ourselves. And again, I don't care if you're 15 or if you're 60 or 80 or 90. There was a famous social experiment that was done back in the 1950s by a researcher named Solomon Ash. And what what Ash did is he wanted to test how susceptible are people, and these were adults, how susceptible are people to conformity. So what he did is he pulled a bunch of people into a study and he told them they were doing a study on their visual perception. And he would get five or six people in a room and he'd give them a series of questions like this. Which of the lines on the right is the same length as the line on the left? Now, unbeknownst to one member of the group, there was only one person in the room that was actually being tested, and not for visual perception, but for his susceptibility to conformity. So they would have six or seven people in the room, and five or six of them were paid to give the wrong answer and to give the wrong answer out loud. So as the test would begin, they would say, which one matches? First person would say B. Right? Now, clearly, C is the right answer, right? If you haven't figured that out, C is the right answer, okay? So the first person would say B. Second person would say B. Third person would say B. Fourth person is confused, All right? Because his eyes are telling him that C is the right answer, but everybody in the room is saying B. And I've seen a video of this study where the guy looks incredibly confused, and the first time he looks at everybody and he goes, C, right? But the second time... He's a little more hesitant in giving the right answer. By the third time, most people began to answer with the group. Even though their eyes are telling them one thing, they cannot abide the concept of going against the pattern of the group. Almost everybody in the study changed at least one of their answers to conform with the group. Very few people answered correctly every single time, despite what the rest of the group is saying. All of us are susceptible to the idea of conforming to a group. Most of us would acknowledge our worst decisions have sometimes been made at the hands of negative peer pressure. Somebody else telling us to do something or encouraging us to believe something that we know is wrong, we know isn't the right direction to go, and we do it because we don't want to stand apart from the crowd. So it only makes sense that if you surround yourself with people who are encouraging you toward godliness, you will begin to conform to that. If you surround yourself with people who are encouraging you the other direction, you will begin to conform. We are made as men and women of community who desire friendship. I had an old friend from my childhood that I found over time, all the way when I was an adult, I found this, that when I spent time with him, I began to become cynical and sarcastic with my speech. And I didn't even notice that it was happening to me until I got married and then we spent time with him. And my wife gently told me, when you're around him, you change your attitudes, your actions, what you're saying. So ultimately found myself having to limit time with this individual. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs chapter 22, verses 24 and 25 gives a specific example. Do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Spend time with an angry person, you'll be an angry person. Spend time with a gossip, you'll be a gossip. Spend time with a person who devalues marriage and insults their spouse, you'll probably become a person with those sort of attitudes. Spend time around a person that disrespects authority, 
You'll be tempted to disrespect authority. All right? On the other hand, most of us would say that many of our best decisions are made under the influence of godly friends. My decisions to marry my wife, to go to seminary, to pursue the Lord, all were decisions influenced by a godly group of friends that challenged me to do what is right. Consistently, the scripture says, this is the kind of person that you're looking for. And even as I say this, one of the questions in my mind that I know arises often is, aren't we called, though, also to be friends to those who don't know the Lord? Friends to those who perhaps are struggling? And the answer to that is yes. But when we look at the book of Proverbs, what we're talking about are primarily those that you say, this is my inner circle. These are my closest friends, the ones I'm going to allow to influence me and change me and shape me. And in fact, I think if we don't have that inner circle of men and women who can challenge us to be like Christ, we cannot effectively go out into the world and minister to those who don't know Christ. Because we need that foundation of those who encourage and hold us accountable and train us to be more like Jesus Christ. So yes, then we go out and we spend time with and we minister with those who don't know the Lord. Often when a college student will come and speak with me about struggles within their spiritual life, whether it's a sexual immorality issue or even a substance abuse issue or some sort of self-perception issue or whatever it may be, often the first thing that I find is that it's an individual who has isolated themselves from strong Christian community. And sometimes the first step is to move to a new apartment and get different roommates. If you're an adult, it may be that you need to rethink the circle in which you spend the majority of your time. These men and women that encourage me toward godliness. Scripture says that's what a good friend is. Second thing is this, a good friend can be trusted, has a character that is filled with integrity. So that there's a basis for our relationship that they can challenge me to know God in a atmosphere of trust. Good friend can be trusted. And there's two aspects of that that I see from the book of Proverbs. One can be trusted to keep secrets. Let me show you a couple of verses. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. Right, can be trusted to keep secrets. Now, I recognize there are times when secrets may need to be shared. If, if the person is going to harm themselves or another person, there may be a time when secrets need to be shared. But I think often we are too quick to share another person's secrets because it gives us something to say that is interesting, something that other people will listen to. There's a famous quote from Alice Roosevelt Longworth, the daughter of Teddy Roosevelt. She crocheted this onto a pillow in her sitting room says, if you haven't got anything good to say about anybody, come sit next to me, right? And often that's the attitude we take. If a person frequently starts conversations with, I shouldn't say this, but, that's the kind of person the Proverbs is talking about. Even if it's shared as a prayer request. It's been said that Christians don't gossip, we just share prayer requests, right? (laughs) And, And the reality is that what the Proverbs consistently tells us is that a good friend can be trusted to keep secrets, and there's a reason for that. This verse in particular talks about actually a slanderer, has the idea of a malicious slanderer, that this is the person that is intentionally sharing your secrets or another person's to harm them. And this is the kid that goes and tells all the other kids about the guy who wets his bed, or this is the person that knows that you have a habit of watching The Bachelor in bed while eating Cheetos, and they have to tell everybody because it will embarrass you. That's the kind of person it's talking about. 
A slanderer can destroy reputations, can destroy lives, can destroy families. The other verse is Proverbs chapter 20, verse 19. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a gossip. The gossip is the person who may not intend any harm, but they're careless. Information, sometimes true and false, just tumbles out of their mouth before they can seem to stop it. Solomon consistently tells his children in Proverbs, avoid the gossiper, avoid the slanderer. And there's a reason for that. In order to challenge me to godliness, a good friend needs to be able to hear my struggles and even sometimes my sins and even my weaknesses and be able to keep them confidential. So that then in an atmosphere of trust and safety, they can gently challenge me to change. If I cannot trust that person to hold it confidential, cannot trust them to challenge me to change. So a good friend can be trusted to keep secrets, but also can be trusted to speak the truth with me when I need it. Proverbs chapter 27, verses 6 and 9. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And then verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. So is a man's counsel sweet to his friend. Right, notice the counsel, it's both honest, it's truthful. Sometimes it wounds when it needs to, but it's kind as well. It says what needs to be said, but it says it in a way that is gentle and kind and winsome. For some reason, when I first saw these verses, it made me think of reality television. Some of you may watch some of these shows like American Idol or the summer one right now, so you think you can dance. I'm not really that into them, but I've watched them occasionally when they've come onto my TV. And the thing that I notice is that one of the tactics that they get to get us to watch is they bring in people to audition who cannot sing and cannot dance, right? Because other people's pain is funny and it's good television, right? And so they bring it in and they'll have a person who cannot sing, cannot dance. And invariably, there's an individual in their life who tells them they're going to be a rock star. It's usually, unfortunately, it's usually a parent, it's usually their mom, right? And, and they can't sing. And the reality is nobody's done them any favors by telling them that over time, by not saying, you know, you really should look for another line of work or take some voice lessons and improve. But, but in their attempt to be gentle, they've not spoken the truth. But a true friend is able to look at your weaknesses and look at your strengths and give you accurate and kind feedback. And they're not like some of the judges on the reality shows who are just mean and ugly. They give you accurate, truthful, kind feedback. So they hear your weaknesses, they hear your sins, they keep them confidential and private, and they challenge you to, to change. Some of you may have had the experience of coming home from a party or a dinner or an event, and your spouse looks in the mirror and notices that there is something in his or her nose or teeth that they did not notice. They begin to scold you. Why did you not tell me? I'm not saying this has ever actually happened to me. I'm just saying that some of you, (laughs) some of you may have had this experience, right? Why? Why does that happen? Because as the spouse, it is your duty to ensure that the other person looks good, right? Similarly, as a friend, it is your duty to ensure that the other person grows closer to Jesus Christ 
even if it means sometimes you have to say the hard thing. Good friend gives you honest counsel, can be trusted. Keep your secrets and to give you honest counsel. And then finally, a good friend can be counted on. Similar to being trusted, but it means this, they are there when you need them. They're dependable, reliable. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 19, like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. These are two very vivid images. I've never actually had a bad tooth as an adult. The closest that I can think of is from when I was a child and you lose your teeth, right? They begin to loosen at the nerve root and then they fall out and you get a dollar or a nickel. It's exciting when you're a child. When you're an adult, it's less exciting, right? Nobody gives you any money when your teeth start falling out, right? They give you surgery and new teeth, right? And so a bad tooth is one, the, the image is when you bite into an apple, it just crumbles, falls apart right when you need it. A bad foot, an unsteady foot. I have had this. You sprain an ankle or you hurt a knee and you walk and you never know when that knee is going to give out. And it can be scary because you can find yourself on the floor without expecting it. And it says that's what a faithless man is like in time of trouble, just when you need him. (sighs) Too busy. Don't want to get involved. Can't help. There's a popular song that's been repeated and re-recorded since about the 1930s up to the present day. Words go like this. Nobody knows you when you're down and out. In your pocket, not one penny. And as for friends, you don't have any. When you get back up on your feet again, everybody wants to be your long-lost friend. I said, it's mighty strange without any doubt. Nobody knows you when you're down and out. The scripture says a true friend is one that does know you when you're down and out. When they're in the room and others are slandering you or your character, they're the one that is willing to step in and be loyal and say the truth. When you're struggling or you're the one in the hospital, they're the one that shows up, even though it's inconvenient. They can be counted on. They can be relied upon. Ultimately, the imagery of a true friend that is presented reminds us of Jesus Christ. We go back to the passage that I read even at the very beginning of this talk, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Obviously, when Solomon was writing these Proverbs, he did not yet know the name of Jesus Christ, but through the centuries, many men and women, as they have read this proverb, could not help but coming back to the person of Jesus Christ. Because there are many friends, there are many individuals and people in our lives that because we're human, we will let one another down, even if we're good friends. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that's who our Savior is. Romans 5 says that even while we were sinners, even in our weakest, most pitiable state, Jesus died for us. Romans 8 tells us that no matter what we do, he remains our friend stays beside us. We never lose his love. I know many of you in here this morning, I don't know everybody, and I don't know where you are in your spiritual life or walk with the Lord, but if you are an individual that has not yet begun a friendship with Jesus Christ, that has not yet understood that he died for us even when we were separated from God because of our sin, and then he rose again 
on our behalf, defeating our sin, defeating our death. And if you have not yet believed in him for eternal life, let me challenge you. The first step to having godly friendships at all is to begin one with Jesus. And then his spirit enters your heart and your life and you begin to become like him and value the things that he values. Make the friendships that he would want us to make. Maybe that you know Jesus Christ, but as you think about the group of friends that you're around, you realize maybe there's some problems. Maybe these are men and women that have some negative attitudes toward the word of God or some inappropriate ideas about marriage or about how children ought to be handled or about authority or about work or whatever it may be. And you find yourself becoming infected with ideas and thoughts that are not of the Lord. It may be that the idea for some of us is to reevaluate the men and women that we make our closest confidants. And we pray for everybody and we love everybody as Jesus does, but those that are our closest confidants, we want to be men and women that challenge us to know God, that are like the ones that the scripture describes. And I think the reason that Solomon, as he writes, is so concerned with this issue even from the very beginning of the book, is because he knows as he talks to his children that the people they spend time with will largely determine the way they live their lives. We are not immune to peer pressure, no matter how old we are. And we are created as men and women who need community. All right, so as we close, I want to ask just a couple of questions. Do you have friends who encourage you toward Christ-likeness? Get out of your mind for just a couple of minutes, all of the Facebook friends, but think about those that you really spend time with, you really want to know. Maybe that there are some of you in here, even this morning, that you just feel lonely. You're isolated. And you say, I don't really feel like I have any friends. And maybe for you, the challenge this morning is this, to begin to pray, first of all. The Lord would provide you men and women in your life who will encourage you toward godliness. Then you begin to seek community, join a home church, join a small group. Go to a place where you can begin to find men and women who will enter into your life and challenge you to be like Christ. Maybe that you just need to begin to rethink and make some new friendships. Do you have friends that challenge you toward Christ-likeness? And then secondly, are you a friend who encourages others toward Christ-likeness? Are the words that you say, the things that you do, toward your friends, actions and words that challenge them to know God better. Again, this is a critical issue, I think, in our spiritual lives. And to be honest, I've heard many messages about romantic love and romantic attachment, but few about godly friendship. But ultimately, for the glory of God, the Scripture is calling us to build a network of relationships that is not shallow and that is not for our own pleasure primarily, but so that we might glorify God together as we become a community of men and women who seeks him together. So our prayer this morning is that God in his grace will provide us that sort of community. Would you pray with me? Father, please teach us to be friends who reflect Jesus Christ. And Father, please teach us to seek out men and women who will challenge, encourage us, help us to grow toward godliness. 
We want to be like your son. So I pray we would do whatever it takes in our lives, make whatever adjustments we need to make, whatever hard decisions we may need to make in order that that might happen. Father, help us understand who you are better and help us to follow you together in this community of believers. We thank you. We pray all of this in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Have a wonderful week.